I think wheat has gotten a bad rep and gluten has gotten a bad rep and um, not because of you know any one person but just farming culture had to change post-world war ii mm. and the government's kind of forgot to change it back hi everyone i'm hetty holmes and you're listening to hacking happiness with dose a podcast that explores what makes us feel good to improve our mental physical spiritual and emotional well-being whether it's a dopamine hit from reaching a career goal a rush of oxytocin from spending time with loved ones, a surge of serotonin from practicing self-care, or a fitness class to send endorphins soaring. Everyone's definition of what feels good is very different. My next guest, Karen O'Donoghue, founder of Happy Tummy Company, is here to tell me about hers. <laughs> Karen, welcome to the Dose Podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Teddy. Now, you're known as the fairy gut mother. I believe. I'm sure it's probably something that you guys coined or someone else, which is very kind. You suffered from IBS, didn't you, when you were younger and you've kind of turned it into your business. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, it goes quite far back. So when I was 10 years old, uh, my mom had cancer and uh, we were horticulturists growing up. So my parents had like a massive nursery. Mom was a farmer. Um, So for me, I've always had a very, very special and direct relationship with the soil and the health of the soil. And I guess when I was 10 years old, I had this moment where my mom was in the house on chemo and I was digging up um, loads and loads of trenches to plant more beech saplings. Um, And I just had this moment where I was like, when I'm older, I have to create a brand that's all about preventative medicine Mm. uh, because I guess, um, you know, I had probably seen what, you know, Uh, modern farming had possibly done to my own mother's health and um, I didn't want to kind of go down the same route obviously Um, and then uh, yeah as I got older I'd always had IBS I was born with it so for me it's Mm -hmm. genetic Um, and my sister and brother have a touch of it as well Um, but uh, yeah I guess I just wanted to um, figure out how to manage it food wise and and as bizarre as this sounds today in a world where we're so focused on microbial health um, it really seemed like a massive challenge to deal with this issue I had through food alone like it almost seemed unachievable as silly as that sounds mm-hmm. because back then uh, we we treated it was much more um, normal to treat every issue with pharmaceutical drugs um, you know Pilates yoga like everything you guys promote and support just did not exist back then or certainly not in Ireland mm. um, so for me kind of the seed was there to do something in preventative medicine food is health from from a very very early age mm, that's amazing and so obviously you're known for the happy tummy bread yeah which kind of went a bit viral tell yeah. me a little bit about like the formulation like what, what goes into baking a loaf yeah perfect um so uh, well, firstly, <clears throat> um, obviously, it's all about sourcing the right ingredients. Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, when I set the, when I went kind of about like my research into Happy Tummy Co was 2012, 2013. Um, I set it up then in 2014 officially. But in 2012 and 2013, um, ancient varieties of wheat like emer and einkorn weren't being grown in the UK, really. Or if they were, they were at the very start of their kind of 10 year tenure into, you know, filling up more than one acre essentially mm. um, so um, I knew at the time that uh, back in like 2012 the science kind of said look in order to kind of fight any um, digestive issue whether it be IBS or, or anything else the way you really need to treat it is well number one follow a very high fibre diet and number two obviously diversity is key um, and so 
that's why I chose bread in the first place because bread can be such a high, high, high source of fibre. Mm. Greens and everything are amazing and of course I eat plentiful of them and fruits but you just can't get to your fibre intake per day without the use of grains, nuts and seeds. Mm. So obviously coming from a farming and horticulture background I'm really, really pro um, locally sourced food and organically grown but back in 2012, 2013 we just weren't there yet. Um, so in terms of, of grains, mm. um, most grains um, grown in the UK were um, for commodity or so used in alcohol, used uh, in diesel production um, or most of the grain basically that were millers were, were milling down and, and sending to, to high street bakeries mm. was coming in from Canada and other places for its high protein content. So um to begin with, there was a massive challenge in making a local product to fight a local kind of disease, if mm. you will. Um, and so I guess being really passionate about ancient grain varieties, I went further afield and obviously discovered Tef um, and began sourcing um, one of 400 varieties of Tef from Bale, Ethiopia. Um, and that was really, really, really exciting. Um, and the really exciting thing about Tef was that... Um, when you mix teff with other ingredients, it actually extends the shelf life of those ingredients. So that was really, really cool because Mm. obviously I was going to be developing a bread for maybe one family member that had IBS and they wouldn't be sharing that loaf with other people. Mm. Um, So that was really, really important in the development of the recipe. Um, And number two, um, because I had all this like kind of newfound knowledge around how to feed our gut microbiome, I wanted to make sure there was as many ingredients as possible in the loaf. Um, Mm. So there was three seed varieties, um, two nut varieties and three grain varieties, as well as things like apple cider vinegar, um, olive oil, water and things like that and salts. Um, so uh, basically, uh, the recipe was a mathematical equation based on how your gut bacteria like to eat. Um, and it took me about 18 months to develop that recipe um, with myself as like the little guinea pig, of course. Um, and, and and the reason it took so long was because, uh, you know, I really did want to create without sending obnoxious a superfood that really did work for people so um, and also I was playing around with different fermentation periods um, and temperatures and all that kind of stuff to kind of get the best mineral and vitamin content out of those ingredients so what very few people um, realise is most I mean, every grain, nut and seed has to be processed to some degree to make it digestible if you don't the phytic acid which um, is in the loaf uh, it's just going to absorb all the minerals and nutrients in that particular grain, nut or seed, mm. disabling you from absorbing them. So, you know, whatever is written on kind of the nutritional label, you know, cut that by half, mm. essentially, which is quite disappointing. So for me, it was all about um, processing for a period of time, which ended up being over the course of three days, essentially. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and then everything was made by hand. Uh, the bake was long. Um, from the very, very get-go back in 2014, you know, I knew where the world was going and I myself was concerned with the waste that I was producing on a weekly basis. Mm. Um, and so uh, one of the rules in Happy Tummy Co. was we only make to order. So that's why we did like a, you have to order your loaf by this certain day so that we use the right amount of ingredients. And that meant as well that we were, from the very get-go of the company, buying ingredients in large quantities, which meant less packaging in terms of the ingredient supply as well. Yeah. 
Because um, you have a bakery in Hackney, or you did? Have yes, a bakery we had a bakery in Hackney. Started. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you used to invite people to come along to like baking school. Yeah, so they could make their own bread. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, originally, um, I actually did intend to study to become a dietitian and then just teach recipes because yeah. at the time, my challenge with my own digestive sim- symptoms was, you know, I'd been to see nutritionists and dietitians and I'm fortunate to have lots of doctors and stuff in my family. But um, certainly back then, dietitians weren't writing recipe books the way they are today. Mm. Um, and you would go see a dietitian and they would give you all the best advice in the world. But it was kind of up to you then to you know, make it all happen. Mm. Um, And after giving many talks before setting up the business, I discovered that that was the biggest problem for people was access to food that was going to actually work for them. Mm. Um, And back back in 2013, when I gave a talk in Shoreditch House, kind of talking about my vision, um, everyone in the room said to me they were never going to make this loaf of bread. At that point, I was ready to give the recipe away and, Mm. you know, just coach people and help people. But people were people were like, we will pay 50 pounds for this loaf because this is amazing and we know it's life changing. Mm. So, um, yeah, at that point, I kind of made the decision to set up the bakery and the bakery was the right choice to make back then. But I think now because um, food culture and community and um, kind of uh, the grand mission of the UK and further afield has changed so much, Mm. you know, we are now moving towards a place where people are happy to make their own food again um, to a certain degree. Yeah. And the people that used to come to your bakery, did they have IBS symptoms themselves? Most did. I would say 50% of people had either IBS or some digestive issue. Yeah. And there were celiacs as well. Um, And then we had lots of people who were very active Mm. and understood that by consuming this grain, they were going to, you know, extend their endurance levels by 25%. Mm. Um, And then we had lots of concerned parents. So lots of moms who had, you know, toddlers who were suffering with really bad constipation. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I suppose everyone is interested in functional health, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And most people that came, I would say 70% of the people that came to the classes believed in the value of food as medicine. The other 30% had to be convinced a little before coming to class or had got a good enough recommendation from a friend who would kind of coerce them into, you know, being a part of this movement for their own greater good. Yeah. In these strange times when we're all at home, it's so easy to reach for a glass of wine or a G&T. But I've discovered Amplify, the perfect drink to make sure you keep your spirits up. It's free from alcohol, free in spirit and tastes of vibrant orange citrus. I find it's delicious mixed with Mediterranean tonic and a slice of pink grapefruit. The bottle itself is like an actual artwork with a bright coloured painting on the label. It now sits pride of place in my kitchen. So it's time to swerve the midweek hangovers and make healthier lockdown choices. Check out at Drink Amplify on Instagram for mocktail inspiration or visit drinkamplify.co.uk and grab a bottle from Morrison's or Tesco now. And even though you were pursuing your passion, it did get quite stressful for you, didn't it? You, you talked about a period of burnout that you experienced. Yeah, 100%. So, um, so basically... Um, Back back in 2013, 2014, you know, lots was obviously going on in term, in the food industry. There was lots of startups coming out, trying to do things in the free from space. Um, and, and, I, and I saw how quickly they were growing and they were doing really, really well. But they were kind of losing their ethics and they were kind of losing maybe the original vision that they had had. Mm. Um, and, and they had st- they had stopped becoming food educators and were just becoming food providers. Mm. 
And around that time, I was considering to uh, to take on investment as well. But I was young, you know. I'm, I'm 33 today. Um, back then, I was still in you're my 20s. Today. It's your birthday. Oh, sorry, not no, today. No, I was sorry. Say. As in, like yeah, right now. Yeah, you're right now. <laughs> 34 next yeah. week. Um, but yeah, so I feel Hetty, like I I wouldn't have made the right decisions back then with that amount of money. You know, I with investors kind of above me, I would have made bad company decisions. Um, and I was really, really, really conscious of that. So. Um, you know, then you kind of have to forge it alone in your own way. And so ended up getting my kitchen in Hackney organically certified by the Soil Association. I trained my cleaner to be my first baker. Um, And between myself and Virginia, we were, she would arrive at my house at 3am and we would bake straight until half eight in the morning. That's when the first pit of breads would come out. Um, And then we would be packaging. Basically, it was like a a full on day. It was like 3am until half two. Virginia would leave at half two. And then Royal Mail vans would rock up and collect the bread for delivery around the country. And bikes, uh, Biker Boy at the time for London deliveries. Um, And then, uh, yeah, and then, you know, you know the way it is. Then you're working on emails and customer Mm. service kind of for the rest of the day. Um, So basically, my working day for the first 18 months was essentially 3am in the morning until 11pm at night. and when that starts to happen, you do start to get a bit foggy. Mm. You know, you can't you can't grow the business. You can only operate at your kind of current number. Mm. Um, and I was getting quite frustrated with that and was looking for ways to bring money into the company through products that weren't so um, all encompassing. Mm. Um, so dependent on you. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think as well, you know, because... Um, only 3% of the bread in this country is made slowly. Mm. Um, and 50% of the bread in this country that's eaten is white bread and, and mm. is just sandwiches that you get on a pret or whatever. Because of that fact, I think people's understanding around what goes in to make a proper loaf of bread that's actually good for you um, is very loose and, and people are very detached from the bread making process. Mm. As soon as people do come and do a class with me, they're like, whoa, I mean, I should be paying my baker way more for the sourdough I'm buying from them. They appreciate the value then. But... Um, I think I did really struggle to um, tick all the boxes in terms of like educate people correctly, give them all the information they needed to understand the value because I was so time poor at the time. Mm. Um, So I was kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place, needing investment desperately, but knowing that if I did that, the company would go down the wrong way. Um, And also the world just wasn't ready at the time to spend money on food. Like Mm. people were people were very, very happy to kind of, you know, buy into marketing around other, inverted commas, healthy food brands mm. and products that would, you know, give them what I actually wasn't even promising because I was so afraid to because gut health was still in its infancy. The science was still in its infancy. Mm. You know, I'd be on panels with dietitians and they would even be careful around what they were saying. Mm. Um, so I guess... Um, so much marketing jargon in there. Yeah, there? so much marketing jargon, and um, yeah. So I think my, you know, my approach has always just been to, you know, at that point I was like, I need to go a bit slower here. Yeah, I need you listen to, to your gut. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I was pooing like there was no tomorrow <laughs> because I was eating so much Teflon. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, and you know, and I was younger. Like yeah. I'm sure you find this as well. The older you get, you have to just slow down a yeah. little bit. You just can't get away with it. Like you no. see, like a, a hangover for me now lasts like two to three days. Yeah, horrendous. Yeah, horrendous. It's not worth it. So after the bakery and hanging, you then relocated to the countryside. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. um. Uh, ran the bakery in Hackney for about four years and then in July of 2019 um, I kind of decided that 
Number one, I wanted to have better relationships with farmers uh, because I wanted to, um, you know, start... um, I wanted more impact in, in, in kind of the initial product that I was buying off people. So mm. um, and uh, and I guess Sussex is quite uh, similar to Cork, where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and my boyfriend is from there. So um, and handy. he was kind of ready. Yeah, exactly. He was kind of ready to move back there. Um, and so, yeah, I and, you know, being the daughter of a horticulturist, you know, I was yearning to be planting again. I was yearning to be, you know, growing my own vegetables and be more be more connected I I really was missing you know digging up soil and planting something I really really was and I think the noise that had really started to shape London and London's wellness scene Mm. really started to get to me because I felt like people were all words but no action Mm. Um, and I just I started to get angry and I didn't like myself anymore I yeah, I kind of fell out of love with myself and I didn't want to fall out of love with what I was doing. So the country, in a way, was actually a necessary move for my mental health mm. as much as anything. Um, and, and now that I'm there, um, everything seems kind of clearer again. And, you know, and now we're actually delivering back into London again and doing things that I thought I would never do because, well, because number one, the need is still there for a product like mine, which actually still kind of blows my mind. I was always really surprised that we never had any competitors. Mm. But I think that's just down to the fact that it's really expensive to yeah. make. So everyone was like, you know what? No. <laughs> She's got that one covered. Yeah. Leave it to her. Um, Are you still getting up at 3am in the countryside to bake bread? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> no absolutely not. I actually, you know what? I've really discovered I'm not a morning person. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, getting up at six. So, like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, I can't wait for the summer to come. <laughs> you know so what I mean? What's the baking process there? Do you have a little school? Where uh, yes, I have come? a little school um, and, uh, you know, we've got bread ovens, mixers, things like that. Yeah. Um, and as of next week, I start building an outdoor kitchen, which is quite cool, which Very will cool. be overlooking the downs. Um, and and that, th- that part of the school will be all about cooking on fire and baking on fire and showcasing... Um, how to, you know, how to very, very simply make a fire in your own back garden mm-hmm. um, or even use if you're lucky enough to have a fireplace in your house to use your fireplace to make bread or flatbreads or whatever it may be. Mm. Um, so I'm really excited about that and I'm really excited about uh, the spring months coming now to get people that do come to the bakery school out in nature and mm. more connected with the soil and um, and the possibility of, you know, maybe one day you know, partaking in a community kind of grow program where we all grow our own wheat, mm. um, ancient varieties, of course. And um, yeah, because I think that's where the world is going. You know, I think mm. like even even in my community now, I've been invited to the society called the Green Onion Society. Mm. And the Green Onion Society is all about reviving um, heirloom varieties of vegetable seeds as well as grain seeds. And um, so all these seeds that basically are just surviving in seed banks and if it weren't for seed banks we would not have anymore mm. um, are, are, are kind of there to be bought and, and, and to be owned again by people and, and grown and grown and grown over a period of five to ten years so um, I, I think more people the more people read about this and kind of read up and knowledge up on on grain and on how wheat can be really beneficial to your health again. Mm. I think there will be this resurgence towards, you know, kind of micro farming, um, micro horticulture, all the sort of kind of community based stuff, because that's what we have to get involved in essentially to to keep 
our health alive as well as the health of the soil. Yeah. There's a really interesting book that's come out called How to Grow a New Body. Have you, ah, have you read it? No. It's all about like, well, my sister read it and she said it's kind of like your, your body's full of this candida, especially when you have a lot of like sugar in your diet that uh-huh. causes a lot of inflammation. And then like when you eat all that sugar, it's, it sends out signals that basically wants to get you as fat as possible so it can the candida can feast on you when you die. And it's wow. just like it takes over your body. And so whenever like you get a sugar craving, she's like, oh, that's the candida talking to you. And it's like oh, this horrible goblin in your head. But she's looking amazing she's completely like transformed her diet but just by taking out you know the really basic things like the gluten and stuff that she's not a celiac but it's just uh, it's giving her body a bit of a reset right okay um, and so amazing. on the gluten um so <laughs> gluten is such a loaded word i feel yeah. nowadays um so okay so number one um this this doesn't always sound so politically correct because uh, we all have different types of incomes and stuff like that but no one should be eating fertilised food. No one. Mm. Um, and we need to work towards a, a time in, in, in our lifetime where everyone can feed off organic food. Mm. So when we... So so let's just talk about gluten for a moment. So basically, pre-World War II and certainly um, even, even up as far as kind of pre the 1970s, um, we were growing heritage wheat varieties organically in the UK um, that had a root system as tall or as long as kind of the the height of the the, the grass, mm. um, and, and and these grasses, these wheat grasses, were very 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 tall, very very long, much higher than they are today. But modern wheat farming um, is, is all about basically uniformity and you know a- allowing machinery to kind of like just drive in and kind of do the job very kind of quickly and efficiently, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, with with high yield. So. So post-World War II, essentially what was happening was, you know, people were starving. There was no food. Um, and the government uh, kind of brought in this way of farming that was yield at all cost. Mm. So what we don't really care what we're doing to the soil. We just need to produce enough wheat and enough crop to feed our country and other countries, of course. Mm. Um, but pre that, you know, it, it wasn't that wasn't the case pre that it was all about like you know growing for the soil and just figuring out what suited your microclimate you know you and Devon me in Sussex you know etc etc um and obviously you know when the nation was fed again we should kind of have done away with this yield at all cost because mm. yield at all cost means that um uh you know people were kind of breeding wheat crops to be very very resistant to a whole number of things um but they needed loads of fertilizer they needed loads of herbicide they needed like all this stuff to kind mm. of keep them healthy because they had no root system mm. um and and that is the kind of wheat that has you know you know all this gluten that maybe isn't so good for people whereas wheat ancient grain variety wheats like einkorn emer all those kind of things that were grown pre-World War II, um, those don't have the same effect on maybe someone with gluten intolerance as wheat does today. Mm. Um, Number one, they were farmed organically. Number two, their roots were so long and deep that they could get all the nourishment they needed from the soil, eradicating the need for fertilizer or herbicide. and yes, maybe there wasn't as much yield, but the other really cool thing about farming pre-World War II was we used to farm loads of varieties together. So you could have had maybe some pea, some oat, uh, wheat, you know, something else mm. in the grain that ultimately went into your bread. Whereas post-World War II, uh, you know, it's all uniformity. There's one wheat variety in your bread. Um, and of course, you know, we didn't realise 
post-World War II that actually what we were doing pre-World War II was really good for us. Diversity is key. You know, organic is key because it develops the proteins and the bread differently. The gluten strain um, is much longer as opposed to shorter. Mm. So it has a completely different effect on your microbiome. Um, so I think wheat has gotten a bad rep and gluten has gotten a bad rep. Um, not because of, you know any one person but just farming culture had to change post-World War Two, mm. and the government's kind of forgot to change it back uh, but what's happening now and what's really really cool is there's a whole new wave of farmers that are farming these ancient varieties again um, and are farming organically um, and I work with these varieties in my bakery school now and people you know that have celiac disease and gluten intolerance are eating these breads and feel mm. amazing on them yeah. so I think it, it, unfortunately, it takes a long time to bring these grains back into activity because it takes mm. such a long time. You know, you get 20 seeds from a seed bank and then it takes you about five years to build that up to, you know, an acre, five acres, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But there is a massive movement now back to ancient varieties and, you know, having lots of different varieties um, grow together. So pea, bean, um, legumes, uh, wheats, oats, all growing in kind of one patch. And then when that variety of many, many different plants is milled down into flour, that's awesome for your health. Mm. Um, so it's a really exciting time for bread now. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why now more than ever, I'm so excited to be based in the country and kind of be near what's happening. Trying something new can change how you feel about yourself. Now you can get that feeling with ClassPass, the app that connects you to the best fitness experiences wherever you are. Keep your body flexing and your mind feeling good at home with unlimited access to thousands of free video and audio workouts with some of the world's best trainers. To get them, just create a free ClassPass account now. You seeing like quite a big shift. Obviously, people like us, we grew up in the countryside, so we were always going to return. But yeah. do you see people living in urban environments, they're more drawn to country living because it's better for their mental health? Yeah, I do. like it's funny. Since I moved down, loads of people have got onto me on Instagram being like, what's it like considering a move? Like, yeah. la, la, la. So I feel like that's definitely happening now every day. But I think people that haven't lived in the country before, I think it'll either go really well for them or they'll get the biggest shock of their, of their life. Exactly. <laughs> I know. know I mean? Well, it's funny that you live in Sussex because um, quite a, a few of people I know have moved to De- back to Devon because that's obviously where we all grew up and I've kind of gone back. Um, but they haven't been able to hack it and they've actually kind of compromised in West Sussex because it's it's kind of near the sea, near yeah. Brighton, near London. It's like a, it's just, yeah, it's convenient. Yeah, Whereas where I live takes that bit longer and it's kind of in the sticks. Yeah. You know, it yeah, takes like yeah. two hours on the train then an extra out to get to the seaside so yeah I think it's how committed you are definitely and also like if you do live in the country you're more dependent on yourself for food production mm. so like you know there is no good sourdough bakery in my area you know mm. like I am it yeah um like in terms of natural wine which is the only type of wine I like to drink there yeah. is no shop selling natural wine like there was in Hackney um, and in terms of cheese making, there's an incredible lady there called Fran who moved down from London and uh, owns a place called Cheese Please in Lewis. Okay. Um, so thank God for her because I love yeah. the holy trinity of bread, <laughs> cheese and wine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in the country, you are more self-sufficient. You know, you can't run into a Planet Organic or a Whole Foods to yeah. grab whatever you need on the go to kind of keep you healthy, inverted commas. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, with this kind of move towards the country and with this move towards ourselves as kind of our own, like, master of our own health, there is a need to start learning 
pretty quickly about food as medicine. Yeah. So let's go back to when you first were diagnosed with IBS. So yeah. How bad did it get for you? So um, pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was one time I was in India for five months with my best friend and it had gone, I'd gone three weeks without having a bowel movement, which is pretty severe. Um, and I was just so incredibly bloated. I always looked about six months pregnant. Um, and I remember at the time I'd lived in France for a while and my IBS actually was quite good when I was in France. It, it, well, it was it was it was better than it had ever been. Um, and I feel like uh, one of the reasons was I was drinking uh, red wine, which is high in phenolic compounds, and that's really good food for a microbiome. Um, good to know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, number two, uh, the bread that I was eating that was made in France, you know, it, it was it was French grown wheat. It was fermented. It was sourdough. So I was eating much, much better bread back then as well. Mm. Um, but uh, so, yeah, in India, we were in this Muslim area and there was no bars, like no alcohol. I was like, Sue, I really need to get a glass of red wine. Like, I know that's what I need to sort myself out. So eventually I found a bar and I had two glasses of red wine and it's like three weeks of curry just <laughs> out of me. Um, not to be so vulgar, but um, and another time I was with my ex-husband in New York. It was August. I don't know why we we're in New York in August, but we were um, and it was absolutely scorching hot. And uh, we've been there maybe five to six days. And again, I hadn't done a bowel movement um, since leaving London. And I just had to go to a pharmacy and I took like a couple of laxatives. They didn't work, took more laxatives. They didn't work. And then I took like half packs of laxatives. And then eventually I was like running from some station back to our hotel just to like go to the loo. So I think for me, like IBS and and, and this is the same for probably 33 percent of your listeners. It it was just such an excruciatingly painful kind of mental thing as well, as well as physical. Mm. Um, And you always look bloated. Well, if you have the diarrhea kind, you you maybe don't. But I had the constipation kind, so I, I was always bloated. Mm. You know, I'd look in the mirror and I was just like, oh, I just hated the look of myself. Mm. Um, and the other thing that would happen with me as well, and that's where I really discovered how to process grains, was because um, when I ate unprocessed wheat, I would get a really itchy stomach, like it would just mm. flare up in this red rash. So if I ate white which obviously is really high in gluten white flour made bread Mm. I would just like scale up whereas if I ate a whole grain fermented sourdough you know made with a rice starter I was perfectly fine Mm. Um, so you know you you kind of look back at these moments in your life and you're like ah yeah, it only makes sense known. now. I exactly. Know, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people that you meet through your workshops presumably go through the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, loads of people have a same, a similar story. Um, and, and yeah, I would say that a lot of people that suffer with IBS have su- suffered with some level of mental illness, mm. bouts of depression, um, and, and, and maybe even eating disorder as well, because I think this bloating makes you feel, inverted commas, fat. Yeah. So then you feel like maybe maybe I'm just eating too much. And I definitely went through that phase when I was between the ages of 14 to 16. I thought maybe actually what's happening here is I'm just eating too much and I'm kind of mm. clogging myself up and I'm not giving my digestive system a chance to kind of digest the food properly. Uh, but of course, that wasn't the case at all. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think... I think young people today are so lucky. We're blessed with more knowledge, but we're also, I, I think what's also happening now is like eating disorders are kind of um, presenting themselves through different mediums, whether it be, you know, you're following a vegan diet or, or you're you're following some diet. Mm. That means maybe you're not eating enough calories every day. Yeah, that's what you have to be careful of. Because you yeah. do see like vegan menus, gluten-free menus are just commonplace now. Yeah, absolutely. Pret, you know. Absolutely. And I think, you know, 
like the the gluten free and the dairy free argument, you know, the, the, uh, they're so 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 important for celiacs, and they're so important for that kind of person who has like a very serious autoimmune disease. But but for anyone else, people can get really really caught up in it, not understanding that actually there is a form of wheat out there for them, and mm. um, that can be processed for them. Um, yeah, I think I think for me the gluten free thing has 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 become somewhat of an annoyance now because you know and, and only because when people do come to the bakery school or get in touch and they're like oh you know what gluten doesn't suit me and then I make them something that completely suits them. Mm. It, I, I guess I'd ask people just to be a little bit more open minded around the source of the wheat and how it's been processed. Yeah. In terms of like your self-care practices that you implement, we touched on sleep earlier or lack thereof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you finding that you've got a little bit more balance now that you're living in the countryside? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say I'm from a family of not great sleepers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely bring our like worries to bed. But um, definitely feel like I'm sleeping better in the country. Yeah. And I also think actually the older you get, you just, you kind of make better decisions for yourself anyway. Mm. I feel like, you know, I've made so many mistakes in my life. I've worked very hard. I'm now at a point where I just want to make better decisions for myself. And I see the wisdom in that. Um, And like, you know, we're kind of coming out of the winter now and it's it's definitely more, it's becoming greener where I am anyway, for sure. But, you know, I'm kind of okay if I sleep in until like 10 to 8. I'm really kind of okay with that now. Mm. Whereas before I would have been beating myself up. Oh, I've missed like two hours of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now I'm just like, oh, fuck it. Like, (laughs) you know what? I don't have like bags the way I used to have bags. And yeah. I'm definitely the same. I used to really like chastise myself. if I, And I'd always feel guilty if I was just having, you know, an hour or two that wasn't on work. Yeah. Even though I, I've learned that I actually have these bouts of creativity. Mm-hmm. And when I am going through a bout, I have to then action it and, and do something really productive. Otherwise, I'll, I'll lose it. And then I kind of, yeah. between like 12 and 3, I'm just my least productive of the whole day just because that's just the way I'm wired. And then come the evening, I have another surge again. Yeah. So that's why I'm not really suited to like a nine to five job. Yeah, same. It's funny. I think with you and I, we both do what we love. Mm. So it completely changes everything. Yeah, and you're living it the whole time. 100%. So you'll obviously burn out if you just spend 24-7 on work. and 100%. Yeah. Like there's definitely times, like especially like 9, 10 p.m. at night, that's when my creative brain really comes into play again and I want to write yeah. everything down and, and yeah, and just get those ideas down that you wouldn't really at any other point during the day. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you have like animals around you now that you're living in the countryside, yeah, but they're so huge. Massive. Yeah. So I live in the middle of a farm. So oh. there's literally sheep all around me. Yeah. Um, also because it's quite flooded at the moment. There's loads of swans. Yeah. So there's loads of bird life, loads of cows. Um, there's no pigs actually around where I am, but there is across a road. Yeah, it's just, it's mostly sheep and cows. And then of course mm. I have my dog, Biggie, who's just the love of my life <laughs> yeah I'm the same I've got a three-year-old spaniel who's basically a baby they're great yeah um she was a practice baby actually and now she's that tends to happen yeah <laughs> but I think she's part of the reason why I moved to the countryside as well because being a spaniel we kind of exhausted every park in London yeah. and I could tell she needed more they get so bored yeah. don't they yeah yeah because uh, I was in Hackney so the marshes were absolutely incredible yeah. but in my last year of London Biggie was just so over it yeah he just didn't want to go on the walks anymore he was so bored oh. and now he's a different dog he's so fit like his agility is incredible it's just it's amazing to look at yeah and how impactful has he been to your mental health would you say like one of the biggest cornerstones of it yeah yeah he is he was five last year um so he's kind of been i got him around this time that i started like the bakery Mm. um 
Uh, and yeah, he, he's just amazing. He's mm. just amazing. I, like, I would love if everyone could have an animal. Yeah. Like, it's not I possible. Think, well, but. you're seeing it more like in workplaces now that Definitely. you're allowed to bring your dog in. But they, it's been proven that just by stroking them, it lowers your blood pressure. Oh my God, you know, so true. They're so in the present. I think that's what's yeah, so important. Like, yeah. they, they take all the kind of like urgency and kind of ego away because they're just like right here, right now. Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. And very, and there's such a spiritual element, especially to the spaniel. I think mm. the spaniel has a, a wonderful kind of knowing of what's going on or something. Yeah, they're just a little bit neurotic. But yeah. they only dance like. <laughs> and what about like fitness? Because obviously, in the country, you don't have access Classes to the same kind stuff. of studios. Yeah, yeah. So I do definitely miss reform and Pilates. Yeah, um, I found that brilliant after an injury I got a few years ago. Um, so yeah, for me, it's just I guess it's really hilly where I am. So mm. I do like loads of walking with Biggie. I kind of do my own yoga practice now in the morning um, and then running. So for me, it's very, it's very basic. It's just mm-hmm. cardio um, and stretching. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if someone wanted to launch a reform Pilates studio in yeah. this, that would be amazing. <laughs> I know, I keep seeing like the Hot Pod Yoga, they've got a franchise business now. And I'm oh, like, yeah. I, can't, I can't teach yoga, but can someone do yeah, this? I know, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I was trying to get him. I, I was on the phone to Joan there recently, one of the founders of Frame, and I was yeah. like, you need to do something here. Yeah, but no, I think it started. Because yeah. I mean, London's so saturated now, it's kind of creeping out. I mean, yeah. Brighton is a real hotspot for wellness now. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's so true. Brighton is maybe a 30 minute drive from my okay, house. So. So yeah, I think, and th- this is this is what cities do to you, isn't it? Mm. Like I could just hop on my bike, cycle to Pilates in eight minutes. Yeah, and, yeah like yeah. I know. I was dri- I was driving twenty minutes to a class before, and then it actually just twenty minutes either side of the actual class itself. It was like a two hour. I know. Turnaround. You just want to throw on your runners and go know, for a run, exactly. Which I do as well. But actually, there's there's a functional fitness studio a bit like F forty five that's just opened oh, five lovely. minutes away. So that's great. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. But that that is one of the major things that you miss, I think, when you move. To the yeah, definitely. Because I, I think I feel like in terms of food, I've you know, I, I know exactly what to do. Mm. But in terms of exercise, especially as I get older, actually, mm. I'm really finding that my, my knees are different, my ankles, my feet, my hips. It, everything's just kind of changed a little bit. Mm. Uh, and I, I know I need to adjust, but it's just kind of harder to do it by yourself without someone kind of coaching you. Yeah. And so if you could go back in time and tell the younger Karen, like give us some tips for, for things to look out for in the future, things to be a bit wary of, what would you tell her? Um, I guess firstly, I think the biggest thing actually for women, particularly nowadays, is to know what is your body? Like how how should your body feel and how should your body look? Mm. And I think from there, then you can make better decisions. Should you be eating the amount you're eating? Should you eat more? Should you eat less? Mm. Should you, does eating more plants suit you better? You know, should you have given up meat? All those kind of things. I think, I think kind of sitting with yourself and uh, even just sitting comfortably or standing in a position that suits you, Mm. you know, kind of start there and, and, and feel around yourself. And then I think, and then I think, yeah, make the decision on like what kind of foods make you happy? What kind of foods make you energetic? What kind of foods, you know, give you no period pain. I think uh, I was so focused on getting rid of my IBS. I kind of just looked at food in terms of my IBS symptoms as opposed to as well as my sleep, as well as my period pain, as mm-hmm. well as my nervous system, all that kind of stuff. Fortunately, the recipes I develop, you know, are very, very good for kind of all aspects of the female body. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think just kind of being patient with your with your own development and and kind of going with the flow a little bit. Mm. Um, 
I've always been a heavy researcher, so and, and that's been very beneficial to me. So I, I definitely recommend that. Um, but I think, yeah, sure, hindsight is great, isn't it? I mean, yeah. like, I would love to say to kind of 25-year-old Karen, be more patient. Mm. You know, I'm very decisive, but maybe be a little bit more patient with your decisions. Take longer to make them. There's no rush. Mm. Um, There's always so much urgency when you're young, though, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. get things done. You absolutely. want to do it all really quickly. But you know what? Like, I've, I've had the privilege of speaking with lots of girls in their early 20s, mid-20s now about their own IBS symptoms and stuff. And when I speak with them on the phone, they just seem way more more evolved than I was back then they mm. just seem a bit more considerate a bit more patient with themselves so I feel like and I feel like that must be because the knowledge is there and they're yeah. very good at listening to that um, but yeah I think yeah I think I think I, I also I tried to not get caught up in kind of the competitiveness of the society we live in mm. but inevitably I did to a certain extent so I think that's the other piece of advice I would give to myself you know I don't like to build business you know I built a business that doesn't exist therefore I don't like going head to head with people mm. uh, but still I think the the noise of everything around you can kind of like get to you at some points and distract you from what, what, what your, your own journey is so I think just sticking to your own journey and not in a like you know fuddy-duddy like hippy-dippy way like actually just stick to your journey like own mm. your journey be decisive about that but also be patient with it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty awesome way to end the podcast, Karen. Thank you Great. so much for joining me. No worries. Thank, thank you, you. Hetty. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.